Hey, Love everybody. <laughs> Welcome to Jargonaria Live, a viral marketing show with serious tips and a sense of fun. I am Kathy Clotes Guest, the founder of Keeping It Human. I am back. I am back. I am live this beautiful, gorgeous July 30th in San Jose, in the heart of Silicon Valley, where it's beautiful. It's really hot. I hope it's cool wherever you are. Um, as long as it's beautiful, there you go. This share this uh woo, I could talk to you. This show airs most Thursdays at three thirty PM Pacific. We did take a about six, seven weeks off. I'll tell you about that in a second. And we help businesses and marketing execs and our teams humanize what they do by telling their most important company, product, and customer stories to the world. And this particular podcast is about making marketing more human, fun, and effective. It's really about helping companies make that human connection. As always, we are a jargon monoxide poisoning-free zone. And leave a comment on the blog. Uh, right now, the website's down, which, boo. <laughs> I was trying to troubleshoot that right before the show, but alas, the server is down at the hosting company. So not much I can do there. But... Um, uh, we, uh, we're working to get our audio back. We've had a little bit of uh, issues here. Um, we have to get our audio files back. So despite all these trials and tribulations, we are back. And the six, seven weeks off uh, was incredible. And I did a lot of traveling. I've missed everybody. I missed doing the podcasts. We'll be back in August with some regular podcasts and guests. It's a little tricky to get guests sometimes in the summer. So we'll have a, a mix of guests. And uh, we'll also be doing a few of these uh, shorter versions, maybe some 15-minute increments, and I'll be talking about particular topics. So we're going to try to mix up the increments, some some 15-minute podcasts, some 30-minute podcasts on deeper topics. So uh, let me tell you what I've been up to. Um, and I have missed so many people, and thank you so much for your emails and what you like and what you want more of. I really appreciate it. You can always email me, Kathy, K-A-T-H-Y, at keepingithuman.com. So I started a new uh, Hangout, Google Hangout series called Improv and Innovation Cafe. And the purpose of that is to really blend um, a lot of the work I do with uh improvisational tools and bring that to light in the work that I do, talking to other people who uh, use applied improvisation as well. So having a series of experts, and we can have these really interesting discussions about it. You can go to my YouTube channel and see some there. And you can also connect with me on, on Google+, and then you can watch them live. Uh, it's been just incredible. Um, as many of you know, um, I'm more than just a, a storyteller. I've got a background in improv, and nobody calls me and says, hey, you know, uh, my improv is broken. I, I wish I would get those calls. Those would be hilarious and wonderful, but nobody calls me for that. They're business challenges. People have tremendous business challenges, and what I have found is that um, improvisational approaches are, are a great set of tools, and that's all they are. So sometimes companies come to me and, and they've got, you know, my content needs work, my story needs work, um, my people need listening skills, um, there's some internal communication uh, issues going on with employees, and some of these different things uh, can be can be helped uh, with improvisational approaches. We can get better business outcomes. That's really the goal. So I uh, hope you check it out. Uh, you can go, like I say, when my website is up, you can find those videos there. They're a lot of fun. Today we actually did one, July 30th here, 2015. 
just as a marker for the episode, uh, we did a live uh, brainstorming session, and three of us marketers who are also improvisers uh, demonstrated how you could generate uh, different ideas uh, with uh, yeah, improvisational approaches. So we did a couple of games to generate ideas, and then we extrapolated ideas from those. So I hope you'll check that out. Today, oh, and before before I get on to that, I, I, I have to tell you the other uh, piece of news is I'm working on a book. So um, Brian Carter, who's been on the podcast, he's a friend of the show a uh, number of times. He is a fellow marketer and improviser. We are writing a book together on storytelling, and uh, I'm very excited. I'll be keeping you in the loop on updates on the website and also on the uh, po- on this very podcast. So I can't wait for that to be done. And right now we're doing research and interviews for the book, and it's it's exciting and it's coming together. So there you go. Uh, I also uh, offer facilitation services. And it's related to a lot of the improv uh, work that I do. And a lot of it can be applied to marketing and storytelling. So if your team is looking for new ideas, new ways to generate ideas, uh, you might look into something different. It's a different type of approach. It's fun. And you'll see things in different ways, unlike traditional brainstorming. So you can go ahead and check that out, too. All right. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about business storytelling. I want to talk about the power of vulnerability today because I think it's such an important topic. And I was on a couple of um, uh, podcasts in the last week talking about storytelling. I also did a tweet chat uh, with VMware yesterday talking about storytelling. And the issue of vulnerability came up. And it's a topic that we think about a lot in storytelling personal storytelling, we think about even in B2C, but we really don't see a lot of it in business storytelling in the B2B world. And I'm really of the mindset of, you know, humans sell to other humans, and and we need to be a little bit more vulnerable. So how do we create that emotional resonance that sticks? And there's a, I have a lot of thoughts on this, and as well as a lot of research that I've been doing for the book, and it's a topic that I think is really important. So that's that's the big scope for today. I want to talk about that. I think vulnerability is key to great storytelling. It's also key to differentiation. So it's important to be vulnerable in the right places. So what does it mean? First, let's frame what that actually means. A lot of times for businesses, it's scary to be vulnerable. I think it's because a lot of businesses think vulnerability means you have to share all your deep, dark secrets, all your failures. You have to... uh, parade your family in front of a camera and have them tell all their deep, dark secrets about you, all that other stuff. Not at all. Vulnerability can even mean just little snippets, little insights here and there. It doesn't have to be all at once. You don't have to share the big things. It can help. It can go a long way. And there are times you should. But little glimpses, little glimpses into who we are matters. And this is a particular issue in B2B for a number of reasons. In business to business, a lot of times the brand stories are very impersonal. We're telling it through the lens of a company. And we're not dealing with a human protagonist at the end of the day. And my belief, my research, my work, uh, the conversations I'm having uh, with other professionals who also do storytelling work, the best stories anchor through the lens of a human being. So whether it's your 
partners telling the story. It's your employees telling the story. Some of your best customers telling their story, their experience in their own words of your brand. That's important because we can't just take these big broad strokes and talk about the brand as an entity. It's it's not compelling because it's impersonal. And that's a huge problem for B2B. More storytelling. It is my belief, it is my experience, the best stories I've helped my clients with, the ones that I see that work out there in the marketplace that I haven't touched and wish I had. The best stories are anchored in that human connection, but through the lens of a human protagonist. Really important concept. And vulnerability is part of that, certainly. So there's a lot of ways that it can it can manifest. So let's talk about the different types of of stories you might have and ways to be vulnerable. And then we'll talk about when it makes sense to be vulnerable and when maybe it doesn't make sense. Because there are times where it just doesn't make a lot of sense to be vulnerable. And and there are things that, you know, you know, we, we kinda have to we kind of have to frame it in, in, in different ways. So, well, let's talk about companies that that uh, uh, have framed it in, in, in certain ways. Now, we don't see a lot of B2B companies that are vulnerable, but we do see it occasionally in B2C. And one of my favorite examples is a few years old, but it comes from JetBlue. And I think you'll remember a few years ago, JetBlue grew really fast. It kind of came out of nowhere. It was sort of the dark horse in the airline industry. But it was about great service, great prices, and just, uh, you know, making flying better. After 9-11, flying sucked. Let's admit it. It was horrible. And JetBlue came in to kind of serve a need. And you might liken it to what Southwest still kind of is. They saw a need for more, uh, another type of airline that was high, gives good service, wouldn't say high-end, but at reasonable prices. And um, they grew so fast, there was that episode where they got stuck on the tarmac, and I believe it was Valentine's Day, so it was in February a a few years ago, and people sat there for eight, nine hours, Um, flights were getting canceled, Um, there were weather delays, people sometimes uh, couldn't get uh, booked on other flights. I think while there was that incident on the tarmac, people had been in that particular plane, I think, for nine hours without food, without water. Um, it was a, there there were rants, and now in the age where everybody has a smart device and everybody has a video camera, people were videoing themselves, and they were posting it, and they were getting the word out on social media about how horrible it was, and the company had to respond. One of the things they did is they didn't take the time to make the message all, you know, beautiful and, and position it, which was perfect. They didn't need PR. What they needed was authenticity. So the CEO of JetBlue addressed it directly, created a series of videos. We screwed up. We own it. We screwed up. Here's what we're going to do better. Um, in fact, the Bill of Rights, there's been a, there a whole movement about customer rights around airlines, and that whole passenger Bill of Rights movement, a lot of it started as a result of JetBlue. What are your, your rights? Um, what do you get access to? What should you be able to request? What's reasonable? And wh- you know, what does an airline owe a passenger if if these different things happen? And they got on it, and they got the story, and there was a number of um, videos created. There was a series of videos, and it kind of grew into the story, and it was a 
I think a really good example of how to own your mistake, tell the story of how you grew too fast. Here's the good thing. Here's where we screwed up. Here's where we made a lot of mistakes. Here's where we're going to work with you to create a better experience. We're going to make it right to you. We can't give you back this time, but we're going to give you um, uh, some some things to make that up. We're going to um, do everything we can to to help with uh, change the industry with respect to bill a bill of rights, passenger bill of rights. So they did a lot of things right, and I think it was probably one of the best apologies at that time that I'd seen in social media. It was a great kind of human story. And it was so important that the CEO was not going to entrust it to any PR person, which was right. He did it himself, and that was the right thing to do. Let's not have marketing. This is not a marketing PR thing. This is very much about the CEO acknowledging it and addressing it. And I think that was a – it's sort of an apology story, but it is a story of vulnerability nonetheless because he admitted they screwed up. He admitted that they hadn't – they had underestimated demand. There was so much demand for JetBlue, and they hadn't had enough services. They hadn't had enough airplanes in their fleet. They hadn't had enough flights. There were some things beyond their control, um, some weather issues – However, a lot of it was their own fault. They didn't blame weather. They admitted that they didn't have enough fleet, that they underestimated demand, that they grew too fast, too soon, all this stuff, and that they were going to try to make it right because the last thing they wanted to do was have a horrible customer experience. And they really set a standard, I think, for owning that story. So I think you know there are other ways to do that. Um, when you fail, um, be vulnerable about it. And there's a lot of great places to tell a story. When the founders of a company fail, and they may have tried, you know, five, six, seven, eight times, that story becomes really important. Um, you can look at the way that that Apple um, kind of curated and 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 by proxy um, borrowed the, the Steve Jobs story about his failures, um, getting kicked out of Apple. Um, next, <laughs> um, you know, the, the the troubles with with Next, and uh, coming back. Uh, to Apple, but that becomes part of the cultural lore. So it's okay to, here's where we screwed up, here's where we made a mistake, here's what we learned. And eventually the next OS operating system became kind of core to Apple's future operating system and, and down the road. So it's it's a pivot. It's actually a classic pivot. And that's the other thing that I think we can do um, is that when things don't work, we own it. We get in front of that story. Uh, Another good example is Mark Zuckerberg a few years ago with the privacy issue. The privacy issue bubbled over, and it exploded all over. Um, People were starting to get really scared about what was going to happen with their data. And Mark Zuckerberg got out in front of it and went on the news and he, this is a, this was a young kid, still is, um, who didn't really, he wasn't very press savvy. He doesn't come across well. He comes across as the very smart engineer that he is. And he hadn't quite grown into that CEO role in terms of being very media savvy. But he didn't care. And it made him sweat, but he did it anyway. He felt that this was too important to, to leave to PR. And it had to be him to address these issues and to admit it and to admit that they made some mistakes and they were going to work on it. And that, tell that story of how it was going to make them better what they were going to learn from it. So the key part of when you tell a failure story or you know whether it's a, a personal business failure or it's a product failure is what you learn from it. Admit it. What did you learn from it? How is it going to make the company better? How's it going to make the customer service 
better going forward. And that's okay. I think a lot of companies are afraid to admit product failure. But I think product failure is okay if we're bookending the story with, hey, you know, we we experimented, oops, we failed, and then the bookend is, but here's what we learned about how to do it better. So when the failure becomes the learning point and here and it becomes relevant to here's how the future will change because of this learning. Completely okay. I think telling that, that story and being vulnerable is only going to make customers trust you more. When a company, I know when a company tells the truth, the company owns the failure, I trust them more. I'm not going to trust companies that don't own up to product failure or to some kind of disaster or BP or any of these other companies. I'm going to trust companies that will own it and tell that story and what they're going to do better because of it. So I think that those kinds of stories, um, again, wrapped through a personal lens, the CEO, um, the, the head of product development, whoever that is, maybe an employee who's in charge of the product, or interviewing, you know, your customers who, who, you know, are were really upset about the product failure. Um, that becomes really super important, and what it does is it makes us trust more, and it increases that human connection. So that's that's one example set of examples, sort of the you know apology and failure uh, of an idea of a product. Uh, a founding story. Many, many, many founding stories include a pivot. In fact, they don't even call them. A few years ago, the, the buzzword in Silicon Valley was pivot. Oh, that's not a failure. That's a pivot. And everybody pivots. So those kinds of stories become really important. Um, it's okay to talk about it because it's a very smart thing to be able to recognize when to pivot. And it might be a little vulnerable. However, it's critical to the story, and so it becomes a really important part of that culture. And it's important to tell it through a human lens, through the founders, or through you know something that's really, really personal. And there's so many pivots that have been in business and in Silicon Valley. I mean, there's just so many. I think about Tote pivoted into Pinterest. They tried to be a commerce site, but they didn't have the back-end wallet. They didn't have all that stuff. They pivoted. They realized what they had was a catalog. Look at all these images. We've become an image catalog. And they pivoted successfully into Pinterest. It happens all the time. Look at Android. Android was acquired by, by Google. And look how Google pivoted then and moved in successfully into to, uh, the mobile space. It's pretty incredible. Um, we can count Groupon. Groupon was a pivot. And some people would say they're still trying to pivot, which they are. They're still having some issues. Flickr. Um, you know, Flickr. Facebook was a pivot. Instagram. PayPal. These were all pivots where they started out as one thing and then they recognized that the real opportunity was somewhere else. So it really wasn't necessarily a failure, but that's really important. And there's nothing there's no there's no weakness in it. And I think too often we think there's a weakness in, in you know, talking about the failures. But everybody's failed. And the beauty about Silicon Valley, I think anywhere, but especially of Silicon Valley, is that I think you if you're an entrepreneur and you don't have any failures on your on your uh, kind of resume, your LinkedIn, people kinda of look at you askance. They they don't trust you because if you've really been around the valley, you've had failures. It's kind of a badge of honor. And I think it says that you've tried. It says to everybody you're an entrepreneur that takes risks and you've tried, and here's what I've learned. And that's, again, the big takeaway. Pivots are great.
failures are okay, as long as we're, again, communicating why it's important, what we've learned from it, so many things. Salespeople. I think salespeople are a huge opportunity when you're having these one-on-one conversations, and not just in your brand story, but in the way that you're telling these personal stories in sales situations. I think it's perfectly okay to to tell stories where maybe your products aren't ideal for a customer or they didn't work. I think that's okay because that's high trust. There are going to be certain types of customers where your products are not going to be ideal for them. And those stories can help solidify trust. It's okay. And you may think that's crazy because I've got to sell. Well, if you're selling to the wrong person and then the solution doesn't work, you're going to end up with unhappy customers anyway. So I think it's always okay to be a little vulnerable and say, look, this is not going to be ideal for you. However, you know, we can work with you maybe on something else, but really be honest in those situations where the product may not work. So lots of things um, to think about. Um, I pivoted. My business pivoted. When I first started out, um, I really wanted to to infuse more humor, and that's a big part of what I do with as a, as a person that is also an improviser. And when I first came out of the shoot and left corporate America, you know, I talked about humor and, and how great it was, and everybody said yes, but it was a down economy. The, the economy had fallen off of a cliff at the end of 2008, and nobody wanted to buy humor because it wasn't going to, even though they knew they would get better business outcomes, they couldn't measure it. People were afraid. It was too risky. And what I had to realize is that the humor message wasn't going to sell. Humor and improv are tools. They're tools. And if you can't talk about the better business outcomes that you get for people, it doesn't matter. So I had to pivot in my approach. I had to pivot in my message. And I've talked about that. One of the things that I think the failures is that um, thinking that your language and the way that you do things is going to be immediately received by everybody else. No. And that's why I think a lot of companies fail Uh, They fail on the product space. They also fail in the communication space because they fail to make that that, um, leap and cross that chasm from me, my my vernacular, to we, to a story that resonates. This is how you're going to be better. And humor and improv are great, but if they don't get results, they don't mean anything. They're just a set of tools. And that was a very big pivot for me, a really important thing. And I I tell that story. So when, when I see customers struggling with their story and struggling with their vernacular language, I hear that. I get that. I've been there. And I think in sharing that, being a little vulnerable, I don't see it as a failure. It's a, it's a learning experience. I understand. I can empathize with exactly what they're they're worried about, what they're thinking. I understand that. I understand that it's possible to pivot. And I think it makes me a credible messenger because I've walked there. I've been I've been there. So really important. Um, I met a really amazing woman and I wrote about her in a blog post on the power of vulnerability on the site. And she's just this incredible person and, and just to give you a sense of, of how powerful this can be. Um, she is a, uh, a she was an immigrant from from China. She came in her twenties, kind of her late twenties, and she by the time I met her, she had a successful uh, business that was a spa, and she was on her way to opening two more. And she called herself a healer, 
and she told me her story, and we'll call her Angela. And she, as I got to know her, she told this very powerful story. And the story, the story is this. Uh, she was born in an era, she, Gen Xer, like me, a little bit older, kind of mid-40s. Uh, she was born at a time where um, baby boys were very, very wanted, baby girls not so much. So her biological parents put her up for adoption. She was adopted eventually by a couple, and that couple had a few other biological children. Then her adoptive father, who idolized her, passed away. The adoptive mother no longer wanted her. So she was kicked out of the home and kind of left to her own devices. So she left for the big city. She left for um, Shanghai and, and to go to, to, go to uh, work uh, for cosmetics companies. She was very successful in doing it. She was very entrepreneurial. She also, uh, in her late teens, traveled by herself. She traveled through Tibet. She traveled through Nepal. She traveled by herself and saw the world. Um, she herself eventually, very successful in helping this cosmetics company, eventually married, and they had a daughter. Um, and sadly, the cycle repeated. Um, her husband left her because she did not produce a, a male uh, child. She had a daughter, and the husband divorced her. So here she was. Um, she had been successful for companies, but she, once again, she was on her own. And the cycle repeated because she had had a daughter. So she decided, that's it. I'm going to heal myself, and I'm going to take my daughter, and we're going to travel, and we're going to go to America, and I'm going to learn English. She didn't know much English at the time. So she came to America, and a single mother knew very little English, settled in the San Francisco Bay Area, um, found some mentors in the, in the Chinese-American community who could show her the ropes entrepreneurially, help her with the language, and she worked on herself, and she worked really hard. And she worked for a cosmetics company. She basically tripled their profits because she showed them how to create better customer service experiences. And she increased their sales. In fact, she was a top salesperson. She saved enough money. Um, she opened up her, her spa, and she has opened up a second one, and she's now on her third, and her daughter is now college age. And I asked her, you know, about that, and, you you know, she diminishes her own strength. She said, no, I just I just moved on with my life, and I know it's more than that. That's a powerful story. It shows you the power of vulnerability when she opens up. She sees herself as a healer. She doesn't see herself in the spa business. She's a healer. As somebody who's been rejected in her life, as somebody who's been hurt spiritually, she knows how important mind-body-spirit connection is. And that's the focus of her work. So she sees herself as being in the healing business. And the, when she told her story, it made sense. It wasn't out of context. It was, let me tell you why healing is so important to me. Because we all need to be healed. We all have wounds. And sometimes they're physical, but there's usually a wound in there, emotional wound in there as well. And she told this beautiful story. And you'd look at her, and she's all of 5'3". She's petite. You wouldn't know how strong she was and how amazing she is after what she's been through in her life. And she's an incredible, incredible person. So it's a testament to her strength. And when we're vulnerable, it, it, it underscores, I think, the magnitude of our strength. And that's really important. So I'm going to give you a couple keys in the few minutes we have left, a couple big keys. Um, you don't have to share your story 
with anybody you don't want to. It's a privilege to hear your story. So if you've got a founding story that has failures, you don't have to share everything. Just share the things that you think are relevant. If it's relevant to a larger point, you're good to go. If it's not relevant, don't share it. Make sure it's relevant. A, that's A. B, be in control of your story and not have your, your, your story control you. And if it's, you're still emotional and raw about your failure, about your story, about your hurt, don't tell it. Be able to tell it in a way that's, that's, that's kind of dispassionate. So when you're telling it, there's a larger point. And people will see that you're past a lot of the hurt, but you're telling it to make a point in their lives. That's really important. And that's, that's a difference about being in control of your story. Right? And thirdly, just small things. Just It can be bumps along the way. Think about the hero's journey. Your, your, everybody's hero's journey is different, but nobody's hero's journey to success is perfect. We have these little bumps and bruises along the way. Tell those little stories. You don't have to share everything. Start somewhere, but tell that through a very human lens in your founder story, again, with your customers, maybe a product failure, whatever it is. But those are really powerful ways to connect more deeply with your human audience, with your, with your audience who's human, your human audience. I like to joke, 92.3% of all audiences are, in fact, made up of people. So there you go. All right, everybody, that was fun. Uh, I'll have this up on the blog when the blog's up. And you can find me at Twitter at Kathy Clotes Guest, no hyphen. If you've got comments or questions, just email me, Kathy at keepingithuman.com. And next week, we are going to be talking about different types of stories. And I'm also in the next couple of weeks going to be experimenting with shorter formats, 15-minute increments, as well as 30-minute uh, podcasts. So, okay, everybody, you know what I'm going to say. I'm Kathy Clotes Guest, Keeping It Human, so you keep it human too. And we will catch you in the next couple of weeks. Take care, everybody.